Welcome to the Reading Aloud Podcast, a place where the creative, emotional, and hilarious aspects of relationship communication are explored in real time by a real couple. That's us. And a baby. <laughs> Enjoy. Okay, I have three versions of this question. Got it. So you have to pay attention to each question specifically as I ask it. Wait, each question? I thought you had three versions of the same question. Yes, so three different versions, meaning you have to listen to each version in order to get... But is it the same question or is it three different questions? Can you just please... Like, you're already fucking up. I'm, yeah, okay. Also, we decided not to say that word anymore. So yeah. I want our editor to go back and bleep out every single time we said that word. Oof. And also, we can never say it again for the rest of our lives. Okay. Okay. So the first question is, as a couple, how many times a week or month do you think we should be having sex? Would you like to be having sex? You said week or month. Those are two different... Right. Well, sometimes not everybody does it every week, and what would you like? So... You could do it in a year, once a year. As a couple, I think one to two times a week, so that would say four to eight times a month. Okay. As a married couple, how many times a week would you like to be having sex? Uh, same answer. Same answer. Wait, okay. uh, I'm sorry. Yeah. You said just as a couple. So like, yeah, I think on average, I would say four to eight. So I'm going to call it, I'm going to shoot for the high end. I'm going to go seven times a month. Okay. And my answer is the same for both. Seven times a month. Okay. So is your answer the same for married six years? Yeah. I mean, I think, I just think I'm right. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah. Fine, fine. And- how many times a week would you like to be having sex with a one and a half year old? Zero. <laughs> you would <laughs> oh my god, that's gross. It's not funny. <laughs> While having a one year old in our life. I'll I'll go with at, at least once a week. I think once a week is a nice baseline. I think when you get into once every two weeks, I think is more realistic. <laughs> More realistic. Somewhat maintenance. When you start to go maybe just once a month or zero times in a month, it's my personal experience in our relationship is that if we go for a lengthy period of time, I don't know what, what do you think is the longest we've been without having sex outside of post-baby? I mean, maybe three weeks once, but most likely maybe just two. But I agree. I agree that for us for now, once a week, is honestly kind of a minimum also. It's the only thing that feels realistic. It's like, and we can't have much going on. It's usually got to be the weekend, you know, or some kind of time when we're not on some epically rigid time schedule. But it feels like such a difficult mountain to climb, and then you climb it, and it's great. It feels easy to do it again. Yeah. And so if you keep that momentum, then it's great. But right. it's just really unrealistic. Well, two thoughts I have. Number one, I think you have to figure out what is momentum. Maybe if you have sex every day for four days and then, you know, you don't for a little while, you're like, oh, we had that momentum. But like, it's not that that's not sustainable, especially with the one and a half year old in the house. 
It's just not with our lives. We can't expect that level of momentum. It's harder for us and it's harder for me do the like scheduling things like Wednesday night. And I know that does work for some people, but that's harder for us. The like real strict schedule. Sometimes we just know when the opportunity is like we're not detached from it. And that is how I would describe momentum. Like we're not detached with seizing opportunities to have sex and to connect on that level of our relationship. Once we hit like longer than a week, little things can become bigger in our relationship. And I feel like there becomes, you know, because we're not connecting on all levels. Yeah, it starts to feel like we are co-parenting, companions, not friend zone, but like that idea of more of just like part the partner piece. And I agree that the romantic piece is what, well, the fact that we live together, we have a kid together, we share finances, we do all these things. Like it's one of the biggest differences between close, intimate friendships and us. You know, I have really close, loving friendships with friends. And of course, I don't live with them. And I couldn't couldn't because I, I didn't choose them. And they're not my people to live with. And it's easy to live with you. But it is the big distinguisher. So I agree. It helps keep that perspective fresh. And you said this once early on. And I think that it was hard for me to understand because we were having lots of sex at that point. But I, you said it once you were like, you know, because we were talking about just like intimacy in general and not not just traditional concepts of sex. And you were like, it's just something so special and bonded. And it's like it helps the health of our relationship. And I remember both thinking like, because I didn't know what that would look like not to. And now with the kid, you know, and with multiple life experiences that have slowed things down at times, I do know what that feels like. And I see what you're talking about now. But I also really wanted to buck against that because I was like, that seems superficial and whatnot. But, you know, in the same way that I talk about enjoying getting dressed, it's, you know, you have to do it every day. It's something that's a part of your life. Why not enjoy it? And I feel like being married, it's an opportunity to enjoy a certain part of our marriage. Yeah, I think you hit on something there where is one of the major pieces, not every piece, but one of the major pieces that you share with your partner that you don't share with anybody else. And so by connecting on that level, it's a little bit of like reconnecting with the identity of the relationship. I've been doing a lot of work on kind of on the fringes of the coaching world right now, both working with more coaches for myself, both leading this workshop. And one of the core pieces that always comes up in working with coaches, working with consultants, working on your identity. The first thing you connect with is like purpose, identity, the why, who you are, why are you here? Why are you doing this, right? There's an aspect to that of intimacy and and sex within it, within a, a marriage or a partnership. You mentioned it. You said when we're not having sex, we become like we're just co-parents. We become disconnected from this special part of ourselves. And I think part of that is like losing an identity of this is my like lifelong committed romantic partner. That romance, that sex actually is one of the critical pieces that separates that relationship from all the other relationships that you have in your life. Because if you're not connecting with one of the key things that is truly separating you from all the other relationships, it becomes muddled. You lose some of the magic. And I think of it a lot like exercise. You know, you can get along just fine without exercise, but you start to notice little by little 
oftentimes if you're an exerciser that your mental health drops. You experience that a lot with running. It's like if you don't wake up and do your exercises that you do in the morning, and then if you don't run, it's you're living a great life. But little by little, your mental health chips away. And I noticed that after one run, your mental health picks back up, but you have to be consistent with that. Otherwise, your mental health drops again. It's self-esteem building with exercise. It's endorphins. It's There's so many components of it that just are such a boost. And I think sex is the same. It's just, And it is. Or there's a lot of actual physiological and biological comparisons between the two. So... Thank you, Neo. Hi, everyone. Did you know that the Reading Aloud podcast has a Patreon account? That's right. When you support this podcast through Patreon, you become a part of our Reading Aloud family, and we love our family members. At its core, this podcast is about providing insight and conversations that will support and inspire our listeners to deepen their relationships and build community through conversation. Every week, we receive meaningful feedback on how the Reading Aloud podcast has supported someone through a challenging time, and now we need your support to keep that going. Your Patreon commitment not only provides you with curated, fun, and interactive bonus content, it helps us cover the many costs of producing a podcast. Check out our Patreon link in the show notes and see which level you can commit to. And know that we thank you so much for both your listening support as well as your financial support. Now let's get back to today's conversation. I always feel this need on the podcast to be really inclusive and to think about people who, you know, there's folks with disabilities, there's folks that are um, experiencing a lot of grief, pain, and loss. There's people who are just disconnected. There are people with different ideas about partnership. There's lots of different uh, types of ways. And I know that we've been through a lot of those different things ourselves. So it feels very much like this is us in this current moment. And this is us restabilizing in our relationship. It's a good conversation to have as we pass that first year mark with the baby and our my body in particular is feeling a little bit more normalized to and unto myself again. So I appreciate that. And I think that you're right. So it's like two times a week is not the minimum. It's an extra and it's a cool opportunity to just really, really keep it fresh. So um, we have about eight more this month to get in order to meet your goal. I'm just kidding. Maybe seven as of today. No? No. Okay. I'm like, you got maybe you got like a five more to get You got eight. a calendar? No, I don't have a calendar. I just have a mental. I guess note. you're right. For some reason in my mind, it's like the beginning of September. How are no, we it's already? September 20th. How are we already through it? It's happening. Um, I have a question for you. I appreciate you being in, in thinking about the inclusivity because I think that's really important. Why do you think other than time, because that is the clear, easy answer of not enough time, more responsibility. Why do you think couples that the longer that you were together, you got to go through this, these years of sex just becomes really hard and it becomes not hard necessarily to do um, per se, but hard to motivate for because, like why because why? with exercise think about it it's like you've got cardio you've got stretching you've got walking you've got 
you know, you can learn to row or kayak, you can um, meditate. There's all these variations on on types of exercise. And then, you know, I think that's when people say spicing it up. It's like sex with one person looks a lot the same over the course of the entire time. And like with exercise, people like to go to Orange Theory or like, you know, curves or whatever. There's like been all these inventions to kind of keep things quote unquote spicy in the exercise world. And so it's got it. So it becomes like it becomes repetitive in a way and a and lot it of loses the same injury. Yeah, uh-huh. I think that's why people say we got to learn we got to spice it up and then they start to bring in additional kind of concepts and ideas and sometimes that's, you know, toys, sometimes that's places, that's positions, that's in, in introducing other people, like how opening the marriage, like Are all you of a this. sex therapist? You know that I wanted to be one. Did you, you know have that? been a great sex therapist? What is making you say that right now? Oh, just a way that you you feel like I feel like you have a strong, clear, defined understanding of why and and just your language around it is really good. A, I am an actual therapist. Well, yes. And B, I know everything. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) All right. Well, I will see my way out of here. Oh, no, because I said A, B. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Dad joke. Don't take that out. So what I really wanted to talk about today was vacations and a baby. And this is not necessarily an interesting topic in the sense that if you have kids, you know, and everybody tells you it's no longer a vacation, it's a trip, and that trips are not necessarily as relaxing. So although you are, like you say, making memories and you have a lot to look back on and look forward to, it is definitely not relaxing. And As with many things, we have consistently found that there are new experiences as new parents. And so while it finally feels like a good time, everybody says travel with them when they're an infant. But Neo was it was challenging for all of us, or at least me and him to do those kinds of things and be ultra flexible. If we you know, when we try to have a second baby, if the baby's different, I don't know. Or if I'm different, I don't know if it would if I would finally understand that. But I actually think it's easier to travel with him now. And he's more flexible and he's more fun. And I just think it's been so much better. And it's so much work because I was like, where is the daycare? Yeah. It's like one thing to have the special weekends and then he goes back to his school. But it's another thing to be on endless days upon days of no relief. No relief. Yeah. Like no like solid chunk of time relief. You said it. it's not the same, so don't expect it to be the same. Yeah, but there's no way, like people say, there's nothing that can prepare you. There's no way that I fully understood. You know, they say nothing can prepare you for this, and it's been true in more than just the sense of being a parent. I mean, in my mind, he was just going to go run on the beach the whole time. But of course, you're like preventing him from drowning. You're helping him find friends on the beach. You're entertaining him when he's hot and tired. I mean, there's so many things. And, you know, it's so easy to daydream about what it could look like. And it's and I was talking with another mom on the beach because because Neo did make some friends um, and In fact, it was sweet. It was like a girl who was maybe five or six. And then her son, who was, I think, probably three or three, two and a half, two and a half. Right. And 
this big sister is very much a big sister to her brother. And she just sort of adopted Neo. And the mom's like, oh, she's found a new little brother. And the the, the brother was kind of sad about it. Mm-hmm. Or at least that's how she described. He was kind yeah. of sad. So anyways, it was really sweet. And I was talking to her and she was super honest and open, which I very much appreciated because, of course, we are too. And so she was saying that you envision which I've said often, you envision this beautiful life with all of the the memories that you make. And then you have these 24 hour cycles where there's no relief ever. So on the, in the moments when you just want to be away or you just want time or you just want, or the baby's not in those magical moments, there's just literally no relief. You have to pay for it or hope for the grace that somebody might give you some space. Yeah, I mean, I hear that, but then don't you feel like then you're just living for the relief and not living in the moment, like kind of just trying at least to embrace what is? Is this you calling me out or in? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I guess I'm just thinking I'm, I'm not actually thinking about you specifically this. You know, I was just thinking, just reflecting on kind of like. Yes, what you were saying, but I wasn't thinking about it as you. I was just thinking about like with kids, it's it's just different. Yeah, well, I don't think like they say nothing can prepare you. So I just don't think I understood. I really didn't understand that 24 hour cycle, 365 days a week. It's a long week. (laughs) Wait, (laughs) you have to tell the story. Of the other day, okay. playing a game late at night. Okay, yeah, so we're we're on beach vacation. We like to play board games. We're playing a board game. In this board game, we're keeping score on a pad of paper, which, by the way, side note, are some of my favorite, like, oh, little yeah. memories. I mean, old board game scores or, like, spade scores or... The, those are so fun to look back and on. you think you think you're like oh you know uncle was there or that's when your cousins were in town uh, or that's, that's when, when they hit fr- the mega farkle yeah you know? that's where our friends came over right our well it, that's what we used to do with yahtzee so we have some dating back yeah. to like 1996 yeah that's awesome so anyway we're keeping score and marisol is adding up the points and she has 295 <laughs> points <laughs> Lowest score wins in this one. So she was adding five points to her score on that time. 295 points plus five points. And she was adding it up. And I'm kind of glancing over, you know, just kind of seeing who's in the lead and seeing what that round achieved. And I'm watching her. And then I slowly watch her do long form math to add up 295 plus five. I mean, she added the fives. She put the zero down. She carried the one. She added the nine and the one. She put the zero down. She carried the second one. She wrote down a three. You really just did that? <laughs> Which I, <laughs> I mean, in addition to the fact that that was so funny in the moment, it has continued to be really funny because every time you say it, I'm just like, I mean, even now, Carrie, two. <laughs> and I was so... I mean, you had the little tick marks above. <laughs> I had to see it so I could count. I think fives messed me up. Like, had it been 220 and 30 points, it would have uh-huh. been an easy 250 for me. But I think the fives really get to me because I know that it makes an extra number 
somewhere. Got like it. it. Puts yeah. you in a new either tens or one hundreds category. Yeah. yeah, you you knew that something was changing. <laughs> yeah, it's really easy to think that to have expectations is what I'm trying to say. Just to have expectations, and I've talked a lot about expectations on this podcast. I've talked a lot about my desire to just release all expectations in both directions. Um, what are both directions? Oh, negative and positive. Negative and positive. You know, like you shouldn't expect that your vacation is going to be perfect. You should also not expect that your vacation is going to be hard, right? Um, just let it go and let them go in both ways. And, uh, and you know, and, and make the most because the thing is about making memories. And the reason why I say making memories is because, and, and same thing with, you know, a little bit with sex. The things that you remember, you draw on for your life, right? You draw on. Like, you've had experiences that probably, like, we've all taken, here's a good example. We've, we've all taken road trips. The majority of road trips are, like, there are fun moments, but it is also filled in with, like, a lot of just, like, sitting and driving and a lot of, like, having to pee and trying to find the right music and being hungry. I disagree, but they are, they can be grueling. Like you kind of get to this place where you're like, oh, we are only halfway there and we're kind of tired, but I'll sit for a long time. Yeah. I mean, you know, but I, I just listened to a This American Life podcast and it was, it was talking about how like the vast majority of road trips are disappointing, but we still have this like complete fascination with them. Here's my point is that you had that, but you created probably like several memories you look back on that and they bring you joy it's like an older movie that like is funnier to talk about than actually go watch again right and so it brings you joy and when you think about that like you think about your life and you are like i have a happy life and so you know you're you're working for to create those memorable moments and and you you work hard to put yourself in position to create them and so when we look back on this trip we won't probably remember the times that, like, you know, Neil ha had a hard nap. We'll remember the 295 plus 5, and we'll laugh about it. <laughs> we'll remember the pictures that we took and Neil running on the beach chasing seagulls. Mm. You know, like, and that will, like, bring us joy when we're in our 70s, mm. thinking back about those trips to folly. And we'll smile at that time, and that'll bring us joy. And so, like, the, the sum of the whole is is a can be a really beautiful thing yeah you got me a little choked up there with the 70 i don't know when it was but i think it was yesterday when we were walking around the lake and neo was napping and i cried a little because i was like thinking about being i we're not older parents but you know at some point you can't get pregnant anymore as a woman and so you know, and I know that, so if you're going to have biological children, it can be really, you know, there's a limit, but we're on the higher end of that limit. And yeah. I think I saw somebody, oh yeah, the other day did a post about if you get told in your thirties that you can't, that it's going to be hard to have kids, which was interesting because I, I had never gotten that message, especially not in my early thirties. She was like, I was 38 and got pregnant and she was talking about her journey towards getting pregnant. And I was like, well, I'm 38. And was I 36 when we got pregnant? Oh no, I had just turned 37. You know, the more that I, the more time I spend with him and the deeper this relationship bond, the deeper this connection with him goes. And the more I learn about him, I'm like, shit, 
are we old? Like I kind of did the math and was a little bit bummed out, which is very much what I hear my parents or my dad saying. He's like, this is how long I think we've got. And I, we always tell him like, let's not, let's not talk about that right now. Let's just be in this moment, which is what I should, I should take my own advice, but you know, it's far ahead, but I, I guess I brought it up when I was talking about being 70. I, I guess I'm just curious what specifically was making you sad. The fact that we won't, we'll have less time with Neil. Well, let's say they're 37 when they have children, if they have children. Yeah. That makes us 80. Right. Yep. A little less, but yeah, we'll be old. These days, 80 is easier to achieve, but yeah, that's what I was thinking. Yeah. I mean, and that's the thing, you know, as as people have kids later and later in life, the long longevity with, you know, grandparents and that kind of bigger family dynamic well, we, become less prevalent. Yeah, we saw some teens the other day with a baby and it sparked a conversation on our walk about how I've met a lot of women who had kids early in life and just, you know, as long as they've, the, they've nurtured the relationship and there's chemistry between them and their kids and vice versa, they have really close relationships and they're so close in age, so much closer in age that they have less of a division between their life experiences. And so I've just seen a lot of closeness in those instances. And of course, that's feels for a lot of people like you, quote unquote, lose your childhood or early adulthood, but you you gain something on the other end because you if you're done having kids at some point, you know what I mean? Like there, it, it's all life. It's all life and it's all different versions of life and there's no right or wrong. And it is it's the opposite of what I'm talking about. Yeah, Are we want whomping, and that's the end of the podcast. Womp whomping. Well, I just kind of want to talk about you as the sex therapist. Oh well, in grad school, that's what I thought I was going to do, and I don't know if I've ever talked about this, but you know, I went to Columbia University in New York City, and so there's a lot of progressive ideas coming out of the school of social work there, and one of them was that in my aging and sexuality. It was so awesome. And I wish that I could remember more of it. I probably still have my my books. I think I do still have my books from that course. But they, you know, we watched this beautiful video of this older couple. I think they were Swedish and they were older, older, like in their mid eighties. And they were just like, they talked about what their intimacy looked like and their quiet life and how they connected. And we even got to see them. I don't know where they were. They were down at a river and it was a secluded place and they laid on the warm rocks and they were naked laying on the rocks. And then they kissed and touched each other. And it wasn't, you know, of course it wasn't pornographic at all. It was just like watching them willing to talk about the ways in which they find intimacy and how they keep what you and I were talking about, yeah. how they keep that as a element in their relationship, yeah. despite the fact that their bodies couldn't do anything more than kiss and lay and touch. Yeah. It's really beautiful. Oh, it was so beautiful. And there was a there was a, a conversation about sex doulas, about therapeutic sex therapists in the sense of like the actions of which, you know, there's a quadrillion. First of all, certain licenses would never let you do that. But there's a quadrillion things that could go wrong as far as like, you know, there's a biochemical response to sex and the and the exchange of intimacy in that way and bodily fluids etc there's like a, a a giving and receiving of chemicals that then 
bond you, which is something that I don't think a lot Mm -hmm. of people realize when they're having sex and all of a sudden they were, they felt that there was a casualness to their relationship. And then all of a sudden there was this like not casualness and it's not necessarily because of how we as society talk about sex or the fact that sex is so like specific. It's also the biochemistry of it. Well, that's what I'm talking about a little bit with, you know, reconnecting with the identity of the relationship. I mean, the, the, what what it, what is setting you apart? What is setting your relationship apart from all other relationships in your life? Yeah. Yeah. So, and right, yeah, that sharing of those chemicals. And I also think that the idea about a sex therapist who's involved in the process of teaching somebody how to really give and receive love and intimacy in that way is an interesting concept and not one that you would learn about at every school of social work in the United States. Yeah. yeah. So I didn't want to necessarily go that route, but I did think sex therapist and, you know, I think I'm just, it's funny. No, I'm not going to get into this here today, but the wiring of my brain, like why, why me and why that conversation? Like, what is it that set me apart that made me more interested in that? I don't know. Conversation for another day. Yeah. All right. Well, I love you, babe. Love you. Thanks, y'all, for listening and participating. We always have a great time with you. And if you enjoy the podcast, please go online and rate, review, share this with your friends. This is the way that we build this community. Yeah. All right. Bye. Bye.